You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. Okay, enough about you, enough about me. Let's get into the Word. So Pastor Jackson, last week began what will be a nine-week series called The Way of the Spirit versus The Way of the Flesh. Okay, somebody remind me, what did he talk about last week? Raise your hand. This isn't a barn. Brayden, what did Pastor Jackson talk about last week? Uh huh. Was it close enough? Yeah, close enough. Collective air five to Brayden on three. One, two, three, air five. A couple people left you hanging. This verse, uh, this... This series, we're going through the fruits of the Spirit, but we're not just going through and like describing what each fruit is, but we're talking about that for every fruit that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in your life, that, that there is a counterfeit fruit, like a fruit in the world that goes to either counteract or take away or distract from the real fruit that the Holy Spirit wants to produce. Can anyone name all nine fruits of the Spirit? Raise your hand. Yes, ma'am. Very good. Air five over here. One, two, three. Air five. I love it. He talked about uh, last week how there are not only the fruits of the spirit, but there are the fruits of the flesh and that there are counterfeit fruits out there. Um, And when it comes to everything we're going to be talking about over the next couple weeks, we're going to be either walking. You should be able to walk away from the message knowing whether or not you're walking in the fruits of the spirit, walking in the way of the spirit, or if you're walking in the way of the flesh. Uh, Pastor Jackson talked about how um, these counterfeits, fr- counterfeit fruits, they look real similar. They may even be almost identical to the real thing. But at the end of the day, if they're not from the Spirit, then they're not going to help us. Yeah. He talked about how at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good uh, my version of love or patience or kindness looks like. If it's not something that's being produced by God, then it's not the real thing. It's a counterfeit. It's actually not doing anything of value. It's not helping me, helping you, helping anyone around us. We need the fruit of the Spirit. All right, so let's read the main passage of Scripture for this series, Galatians 5, verse 16 through 25. It's a long chunk. Don't get bored. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. I like how Paul says this. It's like, no, duh. Like, these are obviously the acts of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, anybody that's me, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. God, but the fruit of the Spirit, I love this, I love how the Word just kind of works together, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's forbearance, another word for that is patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us pray. Lord, we love you tonight. And Spirit of God, we need you. We need you to come and make us look more like Jesus. 
Lord, I pray as we walk out of here tonight, Lord, that we would look more like our Savior, we would think more like our Savior, that we'd see the world more like you do, Jesus. And it's your name we pray. Everybody said amen. amen. All right, as I was thinking about that passage of Scripture, I couldn't help asking myself the question this week, why fruit? Why did Paul use fruit as the object lesson for his little passage to the Galatians here? Why fruit? I think it's a couple reasons. The first one is anytime you talk about fruit or, or food, people lean in. Like if I were to start talking about a grilled cheeseburger, I got everybody's attention. They're leaning in. Fruit is good. It's tasty. It's sweet. In Bible times, fruit was very valuable. You couldn't just go to Walmart or hit up Walmart a grocery order and get some fruit delivered to your house, even though they always happen to be out of the fruit that you need when you order on Walmart.com. But you couldn't do that. You couldn't do that in Bible times. Fruit was actually reserved for the wealthiest people. Unless you happen to live next to a tree that, that made fruit or you worked on a, a farm that produced fruit, you likely didn't have much fruit in your diet. Fruit is what you reserved for, the, for the, the, the most special of guests that came to your house. Also, at the same time, fruit is really nutritious. I'm sure your mamas have said, eat your fruit and veggies, right? Fruit's got a lot of vitamins, a lot of vegetables in it. It's good for you. So here's what, here's what the, the picture that Paul's writing is, is that the Holy Spirit wants to produce this fruit, this food in your life that goes out and nourishes the souls of the people around you. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I believe that one of the primary ways that the people in your life can taste the goodness of God is to taste the fruit that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in your life, okay? That's the first reason. Second reason I think Paul uses fruit as his object lesson is, is that fruit reproduces. Now, this is um, something Pastor Jackson touched on a little bit last week, but you take an apple, right? Do you eat the whole apple? Like, do you eat the core? No, because you're not a psycho, right? Like if you, saw, if you saw somebody chowing down on the core of an apple, you'd have some questions for them, right? Like one, your mouth must be really tough because you get to the core of the, that apple and it'll surprise you. It'll cut you up on the inside. My 18-month-old, if you give him an apple and you walk out of the room, you'll come back and you'll be like, where did that apple go? He eats the whole thing. I mean, he just devours the whole thing, seeds and everything. But normal, and we're watching him, but normal people eat the apple and they leave the seeds, right? And what do you do with the, the apple core? You either, you know, throw it in the trash or, you know, if you're driving your car, you're on the window, you do a little one, so you, you know, recycle it out, fertilize the grass a little bit with your apple core. Within that apple is not just one apple, right? Like an apple has the potential actually to produce thousands and thousands and thousands of apples because within each apple is a few seeds, a handful of seeds. If you planted each one of those seeds, it would produce hundreds and thousands of more apples, which would have more seeds in them. The potential is limitless. So here's what's cool about this is that when the Holy Spirit produces this fruit in your life and it goes out and it nourishes the world that's around you, it has the potential to produce even more fruit in the kingdom of God than just you could do by yourself. Isn't that so cool? Fruit, it's fruit. So what are we talking about tonight? Tonight we're talking about the fruit of joy versus despair. Joy versus despair. Y'all remember that old kid song? I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Boom, boom, that's enough, that's enough, that's enough. You remember the verse, uh, uh, it might be out of uh, circulation now, but the, there was a verse whenever I was a kid to that song that was like, and if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack, which just always kind of like, was strange to me. It's like, I feel like the devil's not that dumb, that he would sit on attack. But anyway, tonight we're talking about joy versus despair. So I want to answer a couple questions for us tonight. The first one is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. What even is joy? 
Like, what even is it? Like, have you ever thought about that before? Like, I feel like joy is one of those words we just kind of throw out there. Like, oh, that person's so joyous. And it's like, what does that mean? Like, they're kind of happy, they're kind, they seem to be in a good mood, I guess. Maybe when you think about joy, you think about the Christmas season. We sing songs like Joy to the World. We say this is the season for joy. You know, as we get closer to Christmas, you're inevitably going to see some really giant, cheesy, ugly joy signs all throughout the land of Edmond. Joy, joy, what is it? Well, I think to answer that question, what even is joy, I think we have to define what it isn't. And joy, if you're taking notes right now, joy is not happiness. Joy is not happiness. Happiness is circumstantial, meaning that you can go from one moment where things are going good, something good happens, you feel really good, you feel really happy, to the next moment, you go through a breakup, you go through something tough, you don't make the team, and all of a sudden you're not happy anymore. Ha- happiness is circumstantial. Yeah. Happiness comes and happiness goes. Happiness is an emotion, meaning that it exists in the mind. Like it is not a reality. It is not something concrete. It's something that your brain produces. It's when your brain shoots a little happiness cocktail of dopamine and serotonin into your body and you go, all oh, this feels good. Did you know that you can do the wrong thing and be happy? You can be happy in the middle of living a sinful life. You can do the the absolutely opposite thing that you should be doing, but because of the way that your mind works, you can still experience happiness. I know a lot of people who aren't living for God, and and their life's pretty easy. They got a lot of money. They, They don't have to worry about much. Things seem to go their way. And listen, they're happy people. But listen, let me tell you that that, that, that happiness will only last as long as the circumstance that creates those, that happiness still remains. So happiness is temporary. Have you ever heard um, someone say this before? They say this, they go, if I could just have blank, then I'd be happy. You ever heard that before? If I could just get these shoes for Christmas, then I'll be happy. If I could just make the basketball team, then I'd be happy. If I could just get so-and-so to like me and date me and notice me, then I'd be happy. If I could just study hard enough and test well enough to make it into this university, then I would be happy. If Maybe it's appearance. If I could just lose the weight, then I'd be happy. If I could just get a little buffer, then I'd be happy. If I could rock a, a subtle but, but nice little mullet like Pastor David, then I'd be happy, right? You hear these things things. Listen, those things, those things will make you happy. Those things will make you happy. It, it's, it, it's, it's beneficial and good to set difficult goals and to achieve them and, and to live in that happiness for a moment. Like that's absolutely okay. It, it's good and godly to go, listen, I want to be on the basketball team. I want to be on a light of the, on my basketball team. So I'm going to practice really hard. I'm going to put the work in and then to go out there and make the team. Like that, that's a good thing and that will make you happy. But listen, it'll, that, that happiness will be temporary. Because even if you make it, you know, you're better than Michael Jordan, you make it freshman year, you got four years of that. And then you're not going to be on the basketball team anymore. Or God forbid you get injured. What's going to happen to your happiness? Your happiness is going to fade away. Maybe you study really hard to make it into a university. That's a good thing. If, you, if what you want to do, what you feel like God's calling you to do in life requires a college education, that's a good and admirable thing to strive for. Work hard for that. And listen, that'll make you happy. But then inevitably, you're going to get to college and you're going to go, this is a lot of work. Or even if you love, you're a nerd and you love every moment of college, at some point you're going to graduate 
And at some point, you're going to have to go get a normal job, and you have to do expense reports like the rest of us, and, and the source of your happiness is going to fade away. Happy, happiness is not forever, but joy is. Here's why. Because joy doesn't exist in your mind like happiness does. It's not a chemical hit that your brain sends, sends you to reward you for accomplishing good or uh, accomplishing something or feeling something. Joy lives in your spirit. Joy lives in your spirit. Write that down. Joy lives in your spirit. Okay, quick little uh, refresher on the anatomy of a Christian, all right? You are a being, a person of three parts, all right? You've got your flesh, your body, your spirit, and you've got your soul, your three parts, okay? So let's take your flesh first. Your flesh is what you can touch. When you go to the gym, it's what makes you sore. If you go get an MRI or an x-ray, it's what you can see on the machine. Like it is, it is who you are as a physical being, okay? Then you have your spirit. Your spirit is the part of you that when you give your life to Jesus, gets made alive. It's, it's where the connection with God originates. The Bible says that we were dead in our sin, but when we trust in Jesus, he raises us up. We were dead in our sin in our spirit. Our body was alive. It's not like we were zombies before we met Jesus, but our spirit was dead. It was incapable of connecting with God. When we get made right with God through the blood of Jesus and through our faith in him, what happens is that our spirit gets made new. We get to come alive. Your spirit is the part of you that's perfectly right with God. Your spirit is where the Holy Spirit comes and makes his residence. When you get filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this is where the Holy Spirit is. The Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That temple is your spirit, okay? So you got your body, you got your spirit, then you got your soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. This is what makes you you. This is the part of you that you're gonna to get to take to heaven. You're not gonna to get to heaven and forget all the things that happen on earth because you're gonna take your soul with you. You're gonna take your mind. You're gonna take your will. You're gonna take your emotions. This is where your memories live. This is where your character is. This is where your drives and your personality, your likes and dislikes. This is where the part of you that loves pizza lives. It's in your soul, okay? This is the part of you that, um, that the Holy Spirit is trying to sanctify. You ever heard that word? That's the, that, that, that's the part of you that the Holy Spirit is trying to make look more like Jesus. When it says we're being transformed to the image of Jesus, the Holy Spirit's trying to do that. It's not that he's trying to make you look like, you know, a Middle Eastern guy with long hair and a beard. He's trying to make your soul look like Jesus. He's, he's trying to get you to love people like Jesus does and to see people and to renew your mind, all right? So we're, we're, we're three parts. We're your body, we're your spirit, we're your soul, okay? And the Christian life is, is this struggle to make sure that your spirit is in the driver's seat of your life. Because your body wants things, your spirit wants things, and your soul wants things. And so the tension of the Christian walk is to walk in such a way that we continue to position the spirit to call the shots on our life, okay? So, so remember, we're talking about the fruits of the spirit. The spirit is where your joy originates. Happiness exists in the mind, okay? It's like when I eat nerds clusters. Anyone ever had nerds clusters? Let me tell you. They are the best candy out there, all right? They are the best. They're the perfect combo of crunchy and gummy and, and tangy and sweet. And like a serving size is like actually a decent amount of candy. I actually bought some today. I was prepping this message and I, I had this illustration about Nerds Clusters and I was like, I gotta get some. So as soon as I leave you guys, I'm going home and I'm eating some Nerds Clusters. I love Nerds Clusters. They are my favorite candy in the entire world. When I eat Nerds Clusters, all right, 
It goes into my mouth. I chew it. I chew that like perfect, like, you know, you know, you, you like got to eat the nerds off of it first. And you got to, okay, my taste buds, which is my flesh, my taste buds go, mm, we really like this. All right. We need to get some more nerds clusters. So my taste buds send a little trigger up to my brain, my soul, and says, hey, I want some more nerds clusters. So what does my mind, will, and emotions do? It releases a little happiness cocktail of dopamine and serotonin into my body that makes me feel good. And it's like, oh man, I'm so happy right now. All I need in life are these nerds clusters. But that happiness only lasts as long as the bag remains full because listen, about 34 seconds after I open that bag, they're gone. I try to slow down, but I can't help it. I've got no self-control. I need the spirit because this is taking place in the mind, all right? So that, that, that's where our happiness is. But, but, but listen, we're talking about joy. Joy is found in your spirit. Joy isn't touched by your feelings. Joy is the state of being content in God no matter the circumstance. It's a peace that knowing God loves you and is in control of your life, and no matter what happens to you, he's going to use your life to grow the kingdom of God, and he's going to take care of you. Joy is knowing that this life is short and heaven is long, and heaven is forever. The word says that, that this life is but a vapor. The joy is knowing that you don't have to care about all the things that everybody else cares about because your eyes are on something above you. Joy is looking beyond our circumstances to know that even if I had a terrible life, if I'm in God, man, I won. Yeah. It's knowing that you have enough if you just have him. Yeah. So. The Holy Spirit wants us to be full of untouchable joy, meaning that it can't be touched by your circumstances. It can't be touched by your ups and downs. He wants us to be a people that when we go through tough seasons, we're able to maintain our joy. Even in, even in sadness, even in struggle, in and out of every season, we maintain joy because joy isn't a feeling. It's not a smile. It's not a fake, oh, no, I'm good. Listen, if you're going through something, like, don't be fake. Like, be honest and open with the people around you. There is nothing wrong. It's, it's actually very healthy. If you're going through a tough time, to get those that you trust and to share with them how you're feeling when you're going through something tough because you need to weigh those thoughts against the Word of God. You can't just let them live in here, right? They just get worse when they're up in here. If, you, if you're feeling down, you would talk to somebody that you know and trust that and you know that they love God and they know you know they want what's best for you and you allow those feelings to be measured up against the word of God. But that doesn't mean you lack joy in that moment. Listen, even in the brokenness and in the honest uh, moments of, 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 of in, the, in the depths of sadness, you can have joy. You can have joy. Joy is an emotion. It's actually a source of strength. I, Nehemiah 8.10 says this, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy isn't when we ignore cruddy things that happen to us and put on a fake face of happiness. It's when we remain strong in the Lord through the ups and downs. It's what keeps us going when we get discouraged because we know in our spirit that, that, that God will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. We can have joy because we know that what God started, he's promised to finish. We, we can have jo joy knowing that, 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 what he, that what he's began in us, this work that he's began in us, he will see to completion, that his eye is on us, that he's working all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. We can have joy when things are going bad because we know that this too shall pass, that God won't leave us where we are. Listen, so we remain strengthened by joy. Joy is the strength to be able to hold on to hope. Joy is the strength to hold on to hope. This world desperately needs hope. And as believers, if we're not careful, um, 
we begin to become apathetic towards the despair that we see in the world. Because to us, it's easy. If you know God and you know the word of God and you're spending time in his presence and you're spending time getting to know him and growing in your faith, it's easy for us to hold on to hope because we know that God's, he's got his eye. He, he's, he's in control. Like we know that there's nothing that's surprising God, right? But the world doesn't have this assurance. So why the world freaks out over things like global warming. And listen, like we should steward the earth. Like God gave us this earth. We should probably like recycle every once in a while. Like I think Teslas are cool. I kind of want one, you know, can't afford one, but I kind of want one. Like we should, we should steward the earth. But listen, I'm not worried. Like I'm not stressing about global warming. Do you know why? Because I know that God's on the throne. And then like, like if it got bad enough, all right, if it got bad enough, I think, I think, Pastor Jackson, I don't know if this is good theology or not, but I think that the guy, the God who created the universe could also fix the earth if we needed to. I'm just saying. Also, again, I'm going to have to check my theology on this, but the Bible says that when Jesus returns, he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. So, like, I'm not stressed out about it. Like, I'm aware of it, but I'm not stressed out about it. Why? Because I got hope. The world doesn't have hope. The world has something called despair. The Latin word uh, that, that despair comes from is also where you get desperate. It's where, it's where the word desperate comes from. When you don't have hope, you feel like you don't know where to go. You feel like you don't know what to do, and you begin to do desperate things. So obviously people do crazy stuff all the time. Like to us, it makes, to those of us that are born again and are in Christ and have the hope of Jesus inside of us, it makes absolutely no sense to us. But to, uh, but to the world, they're, they're desperate. They're reaching. They're desperately reaching for identity. They're desperately reaching for purpose. They're def- desperately reaching for acceptance. That's why we'll see people change absolutely everything about themselves. Yes. Everything about themselves. E- even down to their gender. Wow. On, because they're seeking for identity. Like they're, they're seeking for acceptance. They're seeking some semblance of, of concrete. Who am I and why am I here? It's despair. It's despair. And the answer for despair, it, 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 isn't, it, isn't just, it isn't just bringing simply truth. It's having an answer for it, which is hope. So if you're slipping into despair, maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you're like, man, there's some areas that, that I, if I were honest, like I don't know what to do. Like maybe you're struggling with a sin and you don't know how to get free of it. Or maybe, you know, maybe your family's going through something really tough and you're like, this is out of my control. And I don't know if God can work with this. I don't know what's going to happen. You're struggling with, with fear of the future. Maybe you've, you're slipping into some despair. How do we get to joy then? How, how do we get to joy? Like how, how do we get that joy of the Lord that is our strength? Okay. This is where we get to the joy code, the joy code, joy code. Okay. So knowing that the Holy Spirit is the one that produces the fruit in us, right? Like we don't have to strive to produce joy. It, it, it's, not, it's not a fake it till you make it kind of situation. It's not like just smile through the pain and eventually you start feeling joyful. That's not how this works. The Holy Spirit wants to produce genuine and authentic joy. Not joy that you're like, okay, I gotta remember to be joyful in this season. Like I'm not feeling good, but I gotta remember to be joyful. Like he wants to produce like this authentic, who you are as a person is joyful. Like where people think about you and they think this person is full of joy. I've never seen them shaken up. Like, like they, they, ups and downs, they remain strong in their convictions and who they are. Like this joy is possible to us through the Holy Spirit. So how do we get it? All right, how do we get it? There's three steps. All right, step one, we already read this. Nehemiah 8, Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Okay, so you're tempted with despair. 
your life gets sidetracked or something's going on and, and you feel despair creeping in, you feel your grip on hope. Remember, joy is the strength to be able to hold on to hope diminishing. We need strength. So the joy of the Lord is our strength. Okay, well, how do we get joy of the Lord? See step two. Step two. Psalm 16, verses 9 through 11. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh will also rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, which is another word for, for hell or darkness or despair, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. Check this out. In your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Boom, there we go. That's how we get joy. We get joy in the presence of God. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Where do we get this joy? We get this joy from the presence of God. Okay, well, how do we get into the presence of God? Like, isn't God everywhere, right? Why don't I feel joyful all the time? Doesn't God live in me, right? Why don't I feel joyful all the time? Like, why do I still have bad days where I struggle with this? Why, why, why? Okay, it's because we need to Focus our attention in on him. All right, check this out. Step three. This is so cool. So cool. Psalm 100. I make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God, and is he who made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Enter into his gates. The gates to what? His presence with thanksgiving. Enter into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. And his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Okay, how do we get into the presence of God so that we can get to the joy of the Lord, which is the joy of the Lord is our strength, our ability to hold on to hope. How do we get into the presence of God? We worship him. We worship him. And, and not just like, you know, put some worship music on in the background, but like specifically that verse talks about thankfulness. Thankfulness. What, why is this thankfulness aspect of worship important? Well, not only is it polite to say thank you when God does something for you. You should say thank you. Yes. Not only that, but it, it, it's an exercise for your soul. That's why we have it in our Being Transformed journals every day. Today I'm thankful for blank. I was just talking to Garris before service, and he was talking about how uh, one of the things he does is he focuses on something for 30 seconds and he thanks God for it for 30 seconds. He does that three times and how it produces gratitude in his heart. Here's why this is important because in the process of us thanking God for what he's done in our life, reminding ourselves of his faithfulness and his love and his kindness towards us, in the process of thanking him for what he's currently doing in us, and also, by the way, by thanking him in faith for what we know that he's going to do, in that process, we remind ourselves of who God is and who we are in God, and we become assured again of who he is to us, and we get transported into the presence of God. Listen, it's not that God, like, moves, it's not like God's waiting on you to say the magic words and then he'll show up in your, in your bedroom at 6.30 in the morning when you're doing your quiet time. Like you don't have to say some perfect combination of worship songs and like just the right way and just the right posture with your hands lifted just the right way. That's not what it is. It, there's a verse in Psalms that talks about, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Magnify the Lord with me. You guys ever looked through a microscope before, right? Maybe a telescope. Okay, so you're looking through a microscope or a telescope. Let me ask you a question. Does the thing that you're looking at, does it get bigger? Not, not physically. No, don't ruin my Tony. <laughs> does it change distance? When you're looking at it through a telescope and you're looking up at planets or whatever people look at on telescopes, like, does that planet get closer to you? No. no. But 
you're able to see it more, what, more clearly, right? So what thankfulness does, when we worship the Lord, we magnify him, what, what, what happens is actually we don't get closer to God. He doesn't get closer to us. We actually just become more aware of his presence. So let me walk you through this again, all right? So you're feeling despair creep up. Here's the joy code. I use this all the time on a daily basis. When I start to feel depressed, when I start to feel down, this is the thing that I walk through to get my joy back, all right? The joy of the Lord is my strength. I know I get his joy in his presence, enter his gates with thanksgiving, in his courts with praise. I begin to walk through this thankfulness. I begin to thank the Lord for what he's doing. I begin to thank the Lord even for the most simplest things. Thank you, Jesus, that I have health right now. Thank you that I'm able to get up in the morning and go exercise. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not in a hospital bed. Thank you, Lord, that I got a drawer full of socks. Like, thank you, Lord. Like, for the, for the things that we take for granted. And in the process of this thankfulness, we become aware of the presence of God. And all of a sudden, we're full of the joy of the Lord which is our strength to be able to hold on to hope. Okay, so now we know what joy is. We know how to get it. Why do we lose it, though? You know? Like, you ever notice this? Like, I feel like if you were to, if you were to graph out the Christian walk, uh, I wish it looked like this. Like, you know, you're born, you get saved, and then it's like just this all the way up. All the way up. But it's not that way, right? Like, like some days it's like, man, I feel really good. I feel close to God. And then it's like, what happened? I just dipped down. I feel like God's far away. And then you're like, okay, I, I'm going to get, I got a little distracted. I'm going to get things back right. I'm going to look up. And then these little dips and these little ups. Why is that? Why, what happens? Well, I think there are three things that steal our joy. We're talking about how the joy of the Lord comes from the presence of God. What's cutting us off from intimacy with God? What's cutting us off from the presence of God? Being with him, being fully with him, you know? Like being fully in his presence, okay? There are three things I found in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25, pretty long passage. So what it says, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which let me just pause right there, like listen, you can't earn yourself God's love or approval. You can't earn yourself like, okay, she's good enough. Now I'll come and visit with her. Or he hasn't messed up in two weeks. Like he, so, so I'll come and I'll, I'll bring my presence. I'll, I'll let him feel my presence as students on Wednesday. That's not how God works. Like because of the blood of Jesus, it says that, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, like the presence of God by the blood of Jesus, because of the, the blood of Jesus, God is able to perfectly love you unconditionally right now. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you less. Once you profess your faith in him, the blood of Jesus becomes your righteousness. Like, it's so cool. We don't have to earn our way into God's presence, okay, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us in verse 20 through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from a, underline this, if you have a Bible or, uh, or, or write this down in your, your journal, um, having your hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Okay, that's the first one. Verse 23, let us hold fast, underline that, the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who, is, who promised is faithful, verse 24, and, and underline this, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, so there are three things in this passage that I believe steals our joy, right? We have an enemy, right? 
enemy's name is Satan. And once you put your faith in Jesus, Satan knows that he cannot change the destination of your eternity. So now his strategy pivots and his job is to handicap you and to keep you from walking in the fullness of what God has called you in. Okay, there's three things that cut us off from the presence of God and steal the joy from our lives. Okay, the first one is this. Verse 22, it says, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Okay, the first thing is this, continued sin. Continued sin. Sin's a tiny word, but it is a messy word. It's a serious word. The definition of sin is missing the mark. Another way to say it would be not living up to the standard. And by the way, the standard is Jesus. Um, it's a high standard that God's called us to live. Not a mediocre standard. It's a high standard, a high call that God's called us to live. But Jesus paid the price for our sins, right? So if I sin, God's not mad at me, right? Right. The wrath of God was completely poured out on Jesus. But sin still has a consequence to us, right? The problem with sin, especially continued sin, is that as you continue in it, what you have to do is you're going to face the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to make us look like Jesus, right? If we're sinning and we're not living up to the standard that Jesus set before us, then we're not being transformed into the image of Jesus, right? Yeah. So the Holy Spirit, whose job is to grow us and change us and shape us, comes alongside. And he goes, hey, you know this isn't right, right? Like, you know what you're doing you shouldn't be doing. Like, you know you shouldn't be looking at that. You know you shouldn't be doing that. You know. Come on, like, I've called you higher. The Holy Spirit's going to come alongside you. And we've got a decision to make. Either we can heed the voice of the Holy Spirit and repent, which just means to turn back and go, God, you're right, I'm sorry. Or we go, no, I'm going to continue to do this. When we do that, what we do is we begin to shut off the voice of the Holy Spirit because we can't live under the tension of the conviction of God and the sin that we want to enjoy. We can't live in that tension. So what we begin to do is we begin to, in a way, turn our backs to God and go, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. We become desensitized to the voice of God in our lives. Shielding our spirit from being able to communicate with our soul to then be able to produce joy in our lives. You see what I'm saying? This is why it is incredibly important. It's incredibly important. Because the sin that I've seen people allow to separate them from God. Again, I'm not saying that God's mad at you and is leaving you, but what happens is when we continue in sin and we continue living and doing something that we know that we're not supposed to do, the Holy Spirit is trying to get your attention. And so we shut his voice off. It's like we're turning. He's right there. He's right there calling us back. We turn our, we turn our backs on him. The biggest thing that I see people struggle with is purity. And like, not just, you know, the obvious ones, but purity in general. Okay, I think that our problem is, is that we want to go, like, where's the line? Like, can I watch rated R movies? Like, can, can, can I do this? Like, can, can I see this? Can I, can I do this thing? And we go, where's the line? Like, Pastor Jackson, Pastor David, show me where the line is. And I'll inch up as close to this line as I possibly can. But I'm living pure still. Here's the problem. It just takes one moment of weakness. One moment. And I'm weak. Like, I'm too weak to live on the ledge like this. 
What purity looks like is, God, how can I get as close to you as possible? So here's what boundaries do in your life, right? Boundaries when you're dating, boundaries on your devices, boundaries with your friend groups, boundaries of the movies that you're gonna watch. Here's what boundaries do. Boundaries don't keep us from crossing the line. They keep us from getting near the line at all so that we know there's not gonna be a moment of weakness that just pushes over. It's not gonna take just a breeze to knock me over, right? So, so what we need to do in our life is create these boundaries so that we can continue to live this life that's pure so that we know that we can come behold before the Lord with boldness and not have this thing in the back of our head that's like, well, I don't wanna give this sin up because now I've done it and I love it and I wanna be a part of it still and I don't wanna cut that relationship out of my life. I don't wanna delete that app from my phone. I don't wanna stop watching that show. So I'm gonna just ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit. Listen, no, 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 we gotta repent, we gotta turn. And here's what repent does. It's really, it's really easy and it's really simple. All you gotta do to repent is you go back to God and you go, God, you're right. You're right. And, and you've been trying to get my attention for a bit. And so Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. I don't wanna do that anymore. Would you help me, Holy Spirit, to live in purity again? That's it. Now you're gonna to need to devise a plan so that you can walk in purity, you can continue to walk in it. Maybe you need a flip phone. Maybe you, like listen, maybe you need a flip phone. Maybe you need to delete every social media off of your uh, phone. Maybe you need to break off a relationship. I don't know. I don't know what you got to do, but I just want to tell you, there is nothing that is worth sacrificing the intimacy that you can have with Jesus. There is nothing, there is nothing that is worth forfeiting hearing his voice clearly, experiencing his love and his presence purely. There is nothing that is worth that in your entire life. I want to tell you, I'm almost 30 now. I, I've struggled with things before. I'm not perfect. I've gone through seasons of struggling. I've gone through seasons of, of living really, really good. I just want to tell you, nothing is worth sacrificing the tenderness and the intimacy that you can experience with God with a clear conscience, knowing that you're living for him, okay? So that's the first thing. It's been a little too long on that. I'm sorry. First thing, continued sin. Second thing that steals our joy, living distracted. Living distracted. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Hold fast. It means to like grip onto something tightly. It requires intention. It requires focus, all right? It's like hold fast. You hold fast to a weight that you're lifting over your head because if you don't, it's gonna fall down and hit you in the head, right? <laughs> you hold fast, you hold fast. I think one of the things that steal our joy though is I think sometimes we just get distracted. I think we get distracted by good things. I think we get distracted by, you know, school and friends and sports and shows and, 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 you know, maybe you've experienced this already. Like you, you went to camp and you were like, man, I feel so on fire for God. And like, I'm living for him. And like, I'm getting up every day. I'm going to pray for three hours. Like I'm on fire for God. And then like school starts and like, what happens? It's like, man, I'm kind of tired. Uh, I kind of want to sleep in tomorrow morning. I've been there. You hit the snooze button, you go to set your alarm at 5.30 instead of 6, and you're like, nah, God can wait. I'll, I'll, I'll slip it in during lunch. Like, I'll slip my quiet time in during lunch. And then you get to lunch, and you're like, I kind of want to hang out with my friends, though. So then you're like, I'll wait until nighttime. Like, when I get to, and then you get to bed, and you're like, oh, man, I've been working hard all day, though. Like, I deserve a show. Like, I deserve to sit back and relax for a little bit. And you're like, I'll just catch up tomorrow. Like, there's grace, right? 
and one day turns into two days, turns into three days, turns into a week, turns into a month. Now you're being transformed. Journal looks a little sparse. What happens to your connection with God? It gets distanced, right? And it's not that you intended to, it's just that you got distracted. We got to keep the main thing, the main thing in our life. Like we got to keep Jesus at the forefront of our eyes. Like the call of God in our life has to remain the most important thing. We can't get distracted by all these other stuff. It's good stuff. Listen, it's good. It's good to have fun. It's good to go to school. It's good to work jobs. Like it's good to be busy when you're in school. Like it's good. It's good. But just make sure that nothing starts to take ground and time and attention away from what's the most important in your life that connection with the Holy Spirit. How can the Holy Spirit produce the fruits of the Spirit in your life if you don't spend time abiding in Him? It will not happen. It won't happen by accident. It takes, and I think we want our relationship to God with God to be like, all right, five-minute quiet time. Boom, I got patience now. That person that was annoying me, not anymore. And let me just tell you, like, I've got a four-year-old who uh, I, I try to wake up earlier than him every day. I really do. And I think he just, like, there's like the devil's just like there and just like pokes him whenever I wake up to go do my quiet time. Cause I'm like, I get my coffee and I get settled. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to pray. The house is quiet. I got up early, like early, early. I'm gonna have a good quiet time this morning. And then out comes Abel rolling around. And he's like, you make me a corn dog, a breakfast corn dog. Not like a, not like a lunch corn dog. <laughs> what are they feeding that kid? And I'm like, yes, don't, okay, David, don't get annoyed at him. Like you're in the presence of God. Like give me patience. I don't have patience. Why? Because I'm so flawed. Like, I think we want our relationship with God to be like, boom, he changed me. Boom, he fixed me. Boom. Listen, the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit takes time to grow. You got to spend daily time. And you got to stop looking at your life and going, I don't think this is working as fast as I want it to. Like, you got you to gotta stay in the grind of it. You got you to go, listen, no, I am going to abide in the word of God every day. I am going to spend time in prayer with God. Even when I don't know what I'm saying, even when my, my prayers are a little ugly and they sound like they maybe aren't theologically correct, like I'm going to continue in it because I trust the process of abiding and what it will produce in my life. Okay, so we can't get busy. We can't get distracted. I mean, okay, third thing I think steals our joy is the company we keep. The company we keep. Verse 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Let me ask you a question. Do the friends that you primarily spend time with, the friends that are in that inner circle that you vent to, that you process things with, are they friends that stir you towards love and good works? Are they those kind of friends? So I just want to encourage you, specifically in this season of life that you're in, where you're, you're figuring stuff out and you're figuring out how the world's going to work. But it's like the world you're going to live in looks different than the world that I grew up in. Like it, it just is. The world changes. That's how the world works. The world changes and the, shift, and the culture shifts. In this season, you need friends that are going to stir you on towards the love and towards good works. I've seen this happen too many times. Even in my own life, I, I had this group of friends when I was in high school. There was four of us. And um, we kind of grew up in, grown up in church, but I went to a Baptist church, which means that we didn't really talk about the Holy Spirit. I didn't know anything about the voice of God. I didn't know anything about having a relationship with God. It was just kind of like live good and 
you know, read the Bible some and things will work out. And um, the four of us kind of got a hold of this book that started talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In the process of that, we just became in love with Jesus, like zealous for him. Like we, we, were, we were winning people for Jesus. We were living for God. We were growing our student ministry like crazy. We were telling as many people we could about the gifts of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit. Like we were on fire for God. And then all of a sudden, um, after we graduated, we kind of went our different ways. And Gideon, you can come up at this time if you're, if you're camping out back there. Um, went to college. The only thing that shifted was this, is that I surrounded myself with people that were headed in the same direction as me. When I went to college and I picked some new friends, like I was like, I gotta find these people that love God like I do, that see this thing like I do, because I can't stop. I gotta keep moving. I, w- I wanna continue on towards the thing that God's calling me towards. And my other friends, they didn't. They didn't. And it's not that I was like holier than them or anything. Like I was still messed up and, you know, still flawed and all that. But I knew I, who I picked to be my friends was going to be important. And let me just tell you, 10 years later, our lives look completely different. Because here's what will happen if you don't pick good friends, all right? Paul talks about that this Christian walk, this Christian life that we live is like a race. And in this race, you're running alongside people. And here's what will happen is that you're in a group of people, okay? And you're trying to head over here. You're hearing New Song students every week. Like you, you know what God's calling you to. You know what, you're being fed good food. You're growing spiritually. You're headed this way, right? Your friends are headed over here, all right? Here's what's gonna happen. If you're running in a group of people like that, one of two things is gonna happen. The first thing that could happen is either they're gonna, they're gonna kinda nudge you, distract you, whatever it is, and all of a sudden, you're going to miss your turn and you're going to look up a couple years down the road and you're going to go, like, how did I get here? Like, I remember camp 2022. I remember, I remember how I felt. I remember I, I, I was singing that song, give me Jesus, you can have all this world. Like, I remember that. I don't want to, I remember being so in love with Jesus. Like, what happened? How did I get over here? And what happens is, is you, you drifted. So either that'll happen or you'll come to a fork in the road and you'll go, hey, I got I gotta go this way. I know you guys are headed this way, but I gotta go this way. Or maybe it's not opposite directions. Like maybe you are surrounded with friends who profess Jesus and live good lives and, and aren't bad people. Like they're good people. Like I'm not saying everybody's bad. Like, like maybe, you're, maybe you are around Christians. Maybe you go to a Christian school, okay? Here's the second thing that's important in a race. Not just the destination, but the pace that you run. Like maybe you're running at a pace, you're like, listen, I am going for it. Like I'm going for Jesus. I know one gear and that is all out for him. Like I don't want to ease into this thing. I want to live poured out, just like that we sang about tonight. I want to be spilled out. I want to go all out for you. So you're going all out and your friends are back here going, hey, why are you going so hard? Like this is the time to be alive. This is the time to have fun. This is the time to explore. Like you watch every movie out there that's about high school and it's like, live your life, figure things out. What's gonna happen? One of two things. One, they're gonna slow you down. Two, you're gonna have to leave them. And I wanna encourage you, you might have to have some difficult conversations with your friends and you don't have to be a jerk about it. You don't have to be self-righteous about it. You don't need to be a Pharisee about it. Don't be that way. Jackson, no people like that. You don't have to be that way, no. But you may have to have a conversation. 
You have to have a conversation with someone where you go, hey, listen, this is what God's done in my life. Like this summer at camp, like my heart got turned around and I just love God. I gotta live for him. I got to, I, I don't know what to tell you. Would you wanna do that with me? Because if not, we're gonna have to put some distance in this relationship because I gotta stay focused on him. Yeah. I got to. It's, it's nothing's worth that place that we have in him. You might have to have some difficult conversations. You can do it in love. But let me tell you that the best friends that I've ever had, the ones that grew me, the ones that pushed me towards Jesus, were always the ones that were in church with me. They were always the ones that were sitting under the same teaching as me. They were always the ones that knew the standard and you know knew me at my best moments and knew me at my worst moments. One of the reasons why it's good to have friends that go to your church and also go to your school is that you can't live a double life. It's just too easy. It's too easy to put on a character when you go to church, when you go to school, when you go hang out at this place. It's just too easy. We got to remain, like Pastor Josh Romano talked about the other day, we got to remain with integrity. Would you back your hands